0: happening now we're talking about it this is hamilton today with scott thompson on 900 chml
1: hey it's hamilton today i'm curtis thompson scott's son lisa Poleski and dave Ward are in the newsroom will weber is on the board willerskin is on the cloud the federal border at the ambassador bridge is open but ottawa remains closed now
2: what mr prime minister
3: Here's Scott, Thompson. You know, I was, I was trying to get off on a, you know, on the right foot here, and the Cupid thing, and love, and happiness, and hearts, and farts, and darts, and such, and, and look what's happened. He's gone ahead and taken it in that direction. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It is Hamilton Today. Will Weber is on the board. And Lisa Pileski, Dave Woodard in the newsroom watching the world spin on this Valentine's Day. Yes, Valentine's Day. And uh, if, hang on a sec, is my wife?
4: Are you at the door?
3: I think she might be out the door listening. Um, but I went and uh, there was a few... Okay, she's gone. All right. Uh, she was just walking by the door using the washroom, so I know she can hear me. Uh, it's the only time she really listens to the show is when she's going down the hall to the washroom. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, there was a few of us that were smart enough yesterday uh, to realize it was Valentine's today, and there was a Super Bowl right in front of that, and and things could get difficult. So uh, there was a few of us that went out before the Super Bowl yesterday, during the, I think it was eight and nine, ten hours of pregame and, uh, and kind of got some stuff. So, uh, um, you know, prepared and, you know, things can get sometimes dicey on a Super Bowl weekend. So there's nothing like, there's nothing like a good Valentine's Day to blend it all, uh, <laughs> Even it all out, we'll say. Uh, So, happy Valentine's Day to you all. Maybe this Valentine's Day, we can, uh, you know, give each other a hug, get a little bit closer, and uh, and perhaps a little less divisive uh but you know we we are where we are and uh earlier on today oh uh by the way did i say it's hamilton today it's 900 chml 980 c fpl in london joining us great to have you guys along and uh, uh, what's coming up is a news conference from the prime minister about 4:30 we'll carry a portion of that live uh before it gets uh before it puts you to sleep really and um and also earlier on today uh, Premier Doug Ford came out and, uh, had a news conference in regard to, uh, not only supporting, um, what could be announced. We don't know yet, but the prime minister is talking about, uh, invoking the Emergencies Act, which he has already talked to the premiers about to get their opinion, I guess. So, uh, he talked about that and opening up of restrictions. Uh, and, uh, specifically, uh, and we, you know, we knew about this before the actual protests started. I mean, these were announced after Christmas and went into effect at the end of January, the three stages, and uh we're bumping one up another week, which is is great. Uh but also the uh elimination of vaccine uh passports, which all of the doctors have said become redundant. Dr. Chuckabardi was on the news uh just moments ago saying they probably should have been done away with in February. Anyway, here's what uh the Premier had to say in supporting whatever the Prime Minister does to get rid of the protests. I'll support the federal government in
5: any proposals they have to bring law and order back to our province, to make sure we stabilize uh, our, our businesses and trade around the world as the world is watching us right now, to those who are still there, to those of you who are there with the sole objective of causing disruption and chaos, there'll be serious consequences for this lawless activity. We will continue to raise the consequences against those who are holding millions of jobs and people hostage.
3: All right, so the good news is uh, late last night, early this morning, uh, cleared off the Ambassador Bridge. It's been open all day today, so that has been freed up. Still, obviously, uh, issues in Ottawa. And we'll cover the news conference live from the Prime Minister coming up at 4.30 this afternoon to see if, in fact, he does invoke the Emergency Act, which is what he's talking about and had met with the premiers. Now, the other issue, uh, easing of restrictions. Here's what the premier had to say.
5: Effective March the 1st, we intend to eliminate capacity limits in all indoor public settings. At the same time, and at the recommendation of Dr. Moore, we will lift proof of vaccination requirements for all settings. And let me be very clear, we're moving in this direction because it's safe to do so. Today's announcement is not because of what's happening in Ottawa or Windsor, but despite it. Like all of you, I've waited a long time for this news, but please never doubt that the steps we took together, as difficult as they were, were absolutely necessary and saved tens of thousands of lives from COVID-19.
3: All right. There is, uh, the premier speaking earlier today, uh, this morning in regard to, uh, not only the easing of restrictions in Ontario, uh, basically bumping them up a week, but also talking about the elimination of, uh, the vaccine passport system, which again, we, we knew was coming. And it's interesting, uh, Dr. Uni at the health table, uh, last week and, and, and other doctors, Dr. Ch- uh, Dr. chuckabarty who I mentioned earlier, uh, had said that, um, you know, these have pretty much run their course and you know what they were needed for during the early points of uh, this vaccination uh, effort certainly uh, are not needed now so um, again like the rest of the world and and like other provinces we're seeing from east to west things uh, are starting to open up which again um, you know I'm sure there's a lot of politics at play in regard to the opening uh, of the borders but it it almost seems uh, senseless that uh, what this initial protest was all about was the mandates for truckers to be vaccinated to go across the borders uh you know as time goes on and with every passing day uh those mandates are less and less needed so uh although i don't think the federal government wants to pull that card out and say hey medically it's time to uh you know, to end the mandates anyway, because then obviously the protesters will claim support, I guess, uh, or, or a win out of this. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds and in, in how it all plays out. Uh, but again, as time goes by and as we see what's happening around the world, it just seems that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, protocol regulations will eventually uh, fall by the wayside also want to make note masking distancing that sort of thing uh, it has not changed uh, the opinion has not changed on that from uh, the Ontario government and also said that if you wish as a business to keep the vaccine passport in place uh, you're totally entitled to do that as well
0: you're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Let's get off
3: right about here and have uh, some uh, fabulous, uh, meaningless conversation about a real debate. Oh, oh, man, it's several debates, vinyl, CD, streaming, what have you. A uh, great article by Alan Cross, host of the Ongoing History of New Music, uh, on our website in regard to the rebirth of... The CD? Yeah, absolutely. Alan Cross is with us now. Alan, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, staying positive, testing negative. You
3: know. There you go. All right. So, you know, as I read this, I got a bit of a chuckle, Alan, because I can complete, completely relate to uh, the, the sort of the journey we've all, be on, all uh, been on as music fans and such. But as I looked at this and I read it, I'm thinking, was this only a matter of time before something like this happened because we're stuck in nostalgia? We always like to know what was going on 20, 30 years ago. Uh, Because really, out of all the forms music comes on, this was probably the least, uh, I guess, lasted for the least uh, period of time. What is fueling this, do you think?
1: I uh, don't know. My whole premise here is that uh, it occurred to me that I couldn't remember when I stopped loving CDs. Hmm. I mean, for many, many years, I would spend a tremendous amount of uh, after-tax income on going to record stores and loading up with CDs. I'm old enough to remember when I went to uh, HMV and they had their frequent buyer's card. You bought 10 CDs, you yeah. get one for free. Yeah. And uh, you know, I amassed not just hundreds, but thousands of CDs. I have a room called the uh, CD vault, and it really is, it's a room dedicated to nothing but storage of compact discs. And uh, I was looking at it, or I walked past it the other day, and I looked inside and I thought, at what point did I stop making my music listening all about CDs? And I couldn't remember. It, It must have been sometime in the early 2000s when I got my first iPod and I started ripping CDs to the iPod. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my iPhone came along and I kept doing that. Uh, I grew bored of ripping, um, or making CD compilations on a CDR and a burn CD. And then streaming came along and then I kind of left physical media behind for a while before vinyl came along and I got wrapped up in that. Uh, so while I've been all about vinyl the last couple of years, collecting that and, you know, taking care of the vinyl that I, that I still had. I had been completely ignoring my compact disc collection. And I thought, why? Because the CD sounds great. It just works. I've got a couple of players, you know, all over the place. Uh, They, they, they work great when it comes to, you know, you just put it in the drawer, put it in the slot and music comes out. Uh, (laughs) Why did I stop enjoying music in that format? And I, I, that's why I wrote the article. Trying to figure out why it was because and something new came
3: along, came, Alan.
1: Well, I, I guess since the article came out, I, I started thinking. Well, it was probably because convenience championed acts, uh, convenience championed possession. Mm-hmm. If I could get you know seventy-five or eighty-five or eighty million songs at my fingertips through a streaming music service, I didn't need the CD anymore, I didn't need and this is important, yeah. I didn't need the album anymore, I was listening to collections of great songs as part of playlists so CDs could not do that unless I had a, a compilation or greatest hits or a Virgin CD or something like that and, and it, I just drifted away from the one artist per disc model, it was okay for vinyl because that had a different sort of cachet to it but CDs well, by we- the time I started drifting away had become very common and, and I thought,
3: and, and, it, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, and and I and I thought, uh, you know what? It's it's old. i I'm, I'm moving on. I, that's the only explanation I can come up with.
3: But we've talked many times about the attraction of vinyl, the attraction of albums, whatever. You know, some people would say that, the, you know, it's the warmth of the sound, whatever. I, I don't buy into any of that. That's just turntable rumble and distortion. Um, but what we used to, t- what we talked about before was just having the album in front of you, having the jacket in front of you, having something other than just the music coming out of the box. And maybe CD is the last form of that where you actually, as you mentioned, you know, the, uh, you know, some of the, the jackets were. were were, were crappy but uh others weren't too bad and maybe that's sort of the last and that gives you the album cover but also gives you a better quality than an actual album
1: well it it could um it's
3: the physical thing
1: it it has all the same attributes as a 12-inch lp except that it's smaller and Mm. that um, it's it's not cool (laughs) you know that's i I think that's a valid point
3: so is this will this come back will this become cool just like we've talked many times about vinyl now becoming cool do you think that we're going to end up with the same thing or is the difference uh cd has such a short production run as a composed as opposed to what the album i mean we can just people that still have 78 so um do do you think you're going to see that sort of resurgence or too short of a time
1: well, it's hard to say, but here are a couple of things working to the advantage of the city. First of all, there's still a shortage of vinyl. Uh, polyvinyl chloride is in very short supply because of uh, a variety of things. So the price of records has gone through the roof. Um, I don't know if I ever told you, but I saw a Tragically Hip album for seventy one dollars. And buying, wow. no, I'm not buying a Tragically hit record for $71 as much as I like the band. Uh, when you can get the CD for for 12 or $15, uh, and it has basically the same packaging except smaller. It certainly has got the same music. In fact, it might even have bonus tracks on. So that's yeah. one thing. The other thing is that it's very hard to get um, CDs out into the marketplace right now because of various supply chain issues. Uh, if you're a record label, you have to put in your order. Uh, nine to 12 months in advance if you want to get your vinyl um, in stores on time. So right now, people are putting in vinyl orders for Christmas. Uh, the CD has no such problem. There are lots of CD pressing plants. Um, that that if, if you want to put a, a physical product out there, maybe what we do is, is default to the uh, to, to the CD for the time being until vinyl can get back on its feet in terms of production. Those are the two things I can think of.
3: It's going to be fascinating to see if uh, anything materializes. This don't throw out your old CDs yet. Uh, Alan Cross with us, host of the ongoing history of new music, uh, great column on the website. Uh, the CD will it uh, will it become the new vinyl? I guess. Alan, thanks for the time. Be well. You bet. You too. Well, happy Valentine's Day. By the way, I wonder if uh, if all the protesters are celebrating Valentine's Day today. Do you think there's a lot of love down in the um Uh, Here's hoping. Uh, And coming up in uh, just over one hour from now, we will go live to... Uh, the Prime Minister's news conference uh, scheduled to start at this point at 4.30. You never know, though; they always, uh, you know, issues happen, they always uh, start a bit later. So, uh, well, not always sometimes, but we'll keep our eye peeled for that coming up anytime time after 4.30. Uh, and uh, I guess earlier today, the Prime Minister had a chat with the Premiers across the country talking about invoking the Emergencies Act. So, don't know if that's going to happen. I'm sure we'll find out more after, uh, coming up after 4.30 when we go to to that live, all right, uh, an incredible uh, Valentine's Day gift for uh, everybody uh, in Hamilton. Uh, the Jurovinsky Research Institute, a partnership between Hamilton Health Sciences, Mac, and the Saint Joseph's Healthcare, announced that uh, the Jiravinsky couple, Charles and Margaret, have uh, donated again. Uh, a multi-million dollar donation in support of health research in the city. Uh, Let's bring in Paula Byrne, Dean and Vice President of the Faculty of Health Sciences at McMaster and with us now. Paul, thank you for the time. I hope you're well.
6: Yes, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very well indeed.
3: So quite a Valentine's Day uh, over there.
6: Well, it's an amazing gift for all of us. Uh, All of us who are involved in uh, biomedical research, uh, which is something that both Charles and Margaret feel very passionate about. And uh, this is, as I'm sure you're aware, a number of years that they have committed these Mm -hmm. kinds of resources to uh, the Faculty of Health Sciences at McMaster University, as well as our two hospital partners, Hamilton Health Sciences and um, St. Joseph's Healthcare. So it's been an amazing gift today. Did this catch you by surprise? Because we know,
3: just a few years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, the couple donated—I uh, believe it was a hundred million—with as part of a legacy, uh, and many thought that that might be it. But uh, did this catch you off? Uh, did you see this coming? Did it catch you by surprise?
6: Well, we we did know that uh, both Charles and Margaret were very interested in supporting biomedical research in Hamilton. Uh, before their legacy gift was appropriate, as you know, the legacy gift is part of their estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 but Charles particularly was very very emphatic that he wanted to see some results of his investment in, in health research in Hamilton uh, before that. So uh, we were delighted with that uh, that that uh, um, that that way of looking at it. And as this is the third year in a row that that Charles and Margaret have given a gift of this size uh, to support health research.
3: So what does this mean uh, to the average person in Hamilton? Uh, What will this money be used for? How does it help?
6: Well, the money is um, very important to directly support the kinds of research that we're doing in Hamilton. As I'm sure you know, Hamilton is uh, one of the most research intensive Uh, parts of Canada, particularly in biomedical research. And the first investment that Charles and Margaret made was to help us understand the causes and impact of COVID. And so for the first year, that research money has been invested mostly in studies underway to understand why COVID has happened and how we can minimize the effect of COVID on all of our uh, populations, particularly the more vulnerable populations. The current uh, investment is an extension of that in a way, because we wanted to look not only at the long term effects of COVID, particularly, for example, on uh, child and youth mental health issues, because that's going to be a big, big issue for the future, Mm. uh, but also on the, the ways that we're managing these very uh, severe pandemics that we're dealing with, how the hospitals are managing it, how we work within the outpatient setting. And so this is the kind of direct investment in research that will without doubt make a huge difference in the way that we manage these kinds of uh, pandemics that will happen unfortunately in the future hopefully not very soon but sometime in the future
3: what falls under the biomedical research umbrella Paul what give us more uh, of an example of what that would entail
6: so biomedical research would involve all sorts of research that help us understand the causes uh, the treatment and the prevention of disease so understanding Uh, Those factors that lead to people developing diseases, what puts people at risk, the prevalence of diseases, the the factors that make diseases worse or improve them, and then how best to treat diseases. So they would be the main buckets that we would be focusing on in biomedical research.
3: More important, obviously, now we're uh, two years into a global pandemic?
6: Well, absolutely. I mean, this pandemic has uh, had extraordinary impacts, of course, as you know, well, Um, the impacts have on every, every single person's life directly and indirectly. But one of the, one of the consequences of this has been that we've recognized, first of all, we weren't prepared. We were not Mm. properly prepared to deal with this pandemic when it occurred. We cannot allow that to happen again. And so that's part of this investment is trying to ensure. And secondly, we have been unbelievably responsive in developing for example effective vaccines Uh, uh, you know that we now have uh, uh, several of these that work extremely well and uh the the rate at which they were developed was unprecedented Mm -hmm. and all that occurred because of biomedical research our understanding uh, of the way these vaccines could be developed and in fact for some of these vaccines the basic work that resulted in the vaccine being developed was done right here at McMaster University in Hamilton.
3: I was about to ask you what we've learned, but you've just summed that up. Also, um, how does this help... Um uh, medical officials around the world in working together, because in order for vaccines and in and, and products to get uh, to where they are in such a short period of time, a lot of silos were broken down. What have we learned from that, and can we use in the treatments of other diseases or or a cancer or something like that? Has this really set um, uh, a new precedence for how we how we research, how we solve these problems?
6: That is really an important uh, question because you are absolutely correct that the, the reasons we have been able to move so quickly in developing, for example, new vaccines, is because of the collaborative work between the basic scientists who work with viruses, understanding the genome or the, the genetic makeup of the virus, what parts of the virus to target, then scientists who develop the vaccines that are directed against that. But then of course, the people in clinical trials uh, who are uh, running the clinical trials to prove their effectiveness. On top of that, of course, we have all of the treatments that have been studied in people who have developed uh, COVID, uh, who have developed severe disease and the studies needed um, to understand whether treatments work or not in preventing and managing severe disease. Now, one of the really important uh, requirements that Charles and Margaret have made for this investment is that we at the university who tend to do most of the more basic science research, work closely with our two hospital partners, Hamilton Health Sciences and St. Joseph's Healthcare to work together so every single project that Mm. will be funded from this investment from Charles and Margaret uh, will be done with the three of us working closely together in partnership. Paula Byrne with us, Dean and Vice President of the
3: Faculty of Health Sciences, McMaster, and another uh, big donation from Charles and Margaret Jervinsky uh, for the Jervinsky Research Institute. Paul, thanks for the time. Be well.
0: When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk 900
3: Ivan Reitman has passed away at the age of 75. To talk more about his life and career, Bill Brio is with us, TV critic and author, and with us now. Bill, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
7: Doing fine, Scott.
3: You know, I, I look at uh, at his resume, Ivan Reitman's resume, and, and Animal House is on that, and I remember being a kid and uh, a, a teenager at that point when that movie came out, and uh, it gave birth to the toga party. And I remember having or going to various toga parties as a result of this movie. It's very sad right now, but it was a mantra for us to live by then.
7: It sure was, and it's funny. You know, when my son was, you know, becoming a teenager and stuff. I said, oh, here are some movies you got to see. you got to see Animal House. It's hilarious. And I put it on. It's filthy. <laughs> it's a <laughs> launching <laughs> film. Like, it's totally inappropriate. I've forgotten how crude it was. My God. How politically God.
3: how politically incorrect it is.
7: It, you just can't, you know. But uh, certainly we all laughed and laughed in the day. And that was early. That was 1978 for, um, you know, Reisman, um, uh, Ivan Reitman. Uh, you know, he, he didn't direct that film. Uh, he did, though, the next year directed Meatballs, and that's where mm-hmm. his directing career really took off.
3: So uh, how would you explain the type of movie and he did and what he evolved into?
7: It's just this amazing convergence of talent, Scott. We've talked about this before. All these people who came out of Hamilton, you know, I mean, yeah. Reitman was studying. He was making short films at McMaster. That's where he met Eugene Levy and Martin Short and Dave Thomas. And then, you know, he that is that sphere just kept widening. He met Dan Aykroyd. He knew Bill Murray because they both worked on um, the uh, Lampoon, the Harvard Lampoon uh, stuff. And, and, and so through that association, he later would call Murray to be the star of Meatballs. And uh, you know, from there, because of Ackroyd, he got to meet Belushi, and Belushi was an Animal House, and it just kept going from there.
3: And they really seem to be aimed at a generation. Do we have that as much now? Maybe not with comedy. Um, you know, probably funny, more was- with drama and stuff you see on Netflix. But you know, I remember at the time these were these were things you had to see when they came out.
7: Well, I remember, you know, in the seventies. The choice every weekend was: it will it be a Mel Brooks film, a Monty Python film, a Peter Sellers Pink Panthers film, or a Woody Allen film. Uh, every weekend it seemed there was some amazing comedy, and that's what we don't have anymore uh, at, on big screen, at least.
3: And you talked about the Hamilton connection. Uh, it's amazing how this group still, you know, keeps in touch, stays together. I mean, like here, like I know them, you know. <laughs> From what I've heard, anyway, they seem to be still a very, very tight knit group.
7: Well, you watch the Super Bowl, and there's, you know, uh, Yuchi Levy. Yeah. He's the hero. He's a superhero in long hair driving this Toyota. um, And he's on the highway, and he looks over, and there's Catherine O'Hara. And, you know, as a Canadian, it's just fantastic to see that. Like, it's just, he's still the guy. And, well, uh, you uh, know,
3: who would know. who would have thought, you know, people who are watching, you know, back to the SCV, uh, SCTV days, the Schmange brothers or whatever, <laughs> that somebody, you know, whether, any one of them would be featured in a Super Bowl commercial and have this rebirth in their career at this stage. It's incredible when you think about at, it.
7: At 2022. Yeah, it is incredible. So it's wonderful to see. But Reitman was there. And you talk about generational who's doing it now. You know, his his daughter makes a TV series for a TV series. You'll see, uh, Catherine does working moms. His son Jason's been directing films for years. They just did a remake of Ghostbusters that Ivan was a producer on. Yeah, and he if you look at his IMDb, he's got a bunch of projects coming up. They're doing uh, triplets. Uh, which is a remake of twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which uh, like directed
3: <laughs> and, and this
7: and it's been shot, and this time it's him and Danny DeVito again, but Eddie Murphy is the third oh. <laughs> so that, you know that we're gonna still so, you know the guy was still doing it he was doing a this remake so there's t v series spin offs of both ghostbusters and um another one of his films uh coming mm. up, but you we know, don't. When you think of Dave as such a great film, the political one with Kevin yeah. Uh but his, his resume—he did, you know, the the uh, Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny cartoon yeah. Space Jam—that yeah. was produced by Reitman. He did a, he produced a Trailer Park Boys movie. You know, like he just got movies made, and uh, that's uh, something a lot of people can't
6: do.
3: Bill Brio, TV critic and author. You can find out more at Brio TV and talking about the life of Ivan Reitman passing away at the age of 75. Bill, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. You too, Scott.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
3: It is 420, it's 900 CHML in Hamilton, 980 CFPL in London, it's Hamilton Today, I'm Scott Thompson, Will Weber on the board, in the newsroom uh, is Dave Woodard and Lisa Pileski, keeping us abreast of what is going on, and man, there is tons going on today, including uh, in uh, a few short minutes, coming up uh, around 4.30ish, uh, the Prime Minister is expected to hold a news conference, we will go to that live, and discussion about uh, whether he will invoke the Emergency Act or or not. Uh, met with the premiers virtually earlier on today to have that discussion. And I'm sure we'll find out the results coming up uh, in about 10 or 15 minutes or so. All right. Uh, feel free to jump into the conversation. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open at 905 645 3221. Start at 9900 on your cell. You can write shotgun with us or throw a few things down uh, with Will, and uh, he'll record you, play you back, uh, and your thoughts on the Emergency Act, if in fact uh, that is where we're going. Uh, obviously uh, supply chain issues, borders uh, being blocked and this weekend, uh, early uh, this morning, I guess, overnight uh, we saw the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor and Detroit open up uh, which is uh, great news and good to report that uh, that uh, traffic is going to and fro uh, across those borders once again. We'll talk to uh, the Mayor of Windsor coming up uh, tomorrow on the show, but uh, good news that is open however uh, ottawa is a completely different story to talk about what things like border closer uh, closures mean for uh, the canadian economy and by canadian or by american let's bring in marvin Ryder, professor to group school of business mcmaster university he's with us now thanks for the time marvin i hope you're well
8: I'm well and glad to be with
3: you. So we certainly know the cost. We've been hearing about that all week, uh, what it costs to keep these borders closed, or specifically this one being it as large as it is. Uh, now that it is moving again, uh, is this over? Is it done with? Or is this a concern that Americans will still have? I'm talking about their Buy American policy. Uh, one Michigan official, I believe, said, well, this is all the reason to bring stuff back into Michigan and out of Ontario. Well, this hurt us long term.
8: Well, I'm going to say no, assuming this is the end of it and we can get back to normal. We all tend to have very short memories, and uh, what we consider to be normal operations go by quickly. Just to remind everybody what we're talking about, uh, in their Build Back Better plan that Joe Biden put forward, he wanted to uh, give Americans some incentives to buy American vehicles, and in particular, electric vehicles, which he's heralding as the future, but they could only get that incentive if the vehicle was assembled in, in the United States. Now, we have a very integrated uh, automobile industry between Canada and the United States, and so we quickly went down to Washington and said, wait a minute, hold on here, you know, uh, 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 what, what about Canada here? Why, what if the vehicles were assembled in Windsor, or what if they were assembled in Oshawa or Oakville? Come on, let that be the same thing. So we've actually been negotiating with the Biden government for the better part of four months ever since the Build Back Better plan was put forward. The argument being, look, it's an integrated thing, and we're your buddy, we're your ally. Sure, I understand why you don't want to give dollars to support the Japanese car industry or the Korean car industry or the European car industry, but hey, come on here. And everything seemed to be making some progress on this until last week when the Ambassador Bridge shut down. And not only, in a sense, did it shut down, but as the a flow of goods was interrupted we began to see it have an immediate an absolutely immediate impact in the car industry there were car plants in the united states that had to lay off american workers because they couldn't assemble the plants Uh, excuse me me, assemble the cars while they're waiting for parts from Canadian plants and so this has given certain people a little more ammunition to say no don't don't uh, change the rules let's put all of this back in the United States we don't really care about Canada and its auto industry of course you know we've we've quickly tried to to say wait a minute this is an aberration normally the border flows quite smoothly normally this isn't a problem Uh, And for for that to be true, we've got to get back to normal operations and then not have it interrupted again. And these nice people who helped shut down the Ambassador Bridge, have they gone away? Is this gone for good? Or will it come back next week or the weekend after? The more times we shut it down, the less likely we are to make that argument that says, hey, we're all one big happy family.
3: Uh, are the supply chains just too interwoven and you've you've explained many times that parts go back and forth several times before yep. they even end up on a car uh, across the border are these supply chains just simply too interwoven now to make any sort of argument for you know all right that's it rip it in half and one on one side one on the other
8: well i would like to say yes uh, to that, and, and certainly in terms of the internal combustion engine, uh, those supply chains have now been set in cement and they work very, very well for those kind of vehicles. Now, an electric vehicle, an all electric, not a hybrid, mm. but an all electric vehicle is a different beastie, and they yeah. need different components and different parts. It, it's not, it's really not the same at all. It may look the same on the outside, but inside it looks different. So, as this new era dawns, and remember, all the major car companies are saying they want electric vehicles by 2030. So over the next seven, eight years, we'll see new supply chains being built and new suppliers being sought. We don't need that part anymore, but we need this part over here. And so what we were hoping in Canada is to continue to position us as one of those uh, suppliers of choice in that industry, uh, I still think that's quite likely, and again, this is an aberration. I can't remember the last time the Ambassador Bridge was shut down and shut down for any great length of time. So I, you know, I think this will fall on deaf ears, but it's not as certain as if we were going back making an internal combustion car.
0: Boy,
3: that's a very valid uh, point, Marvin, that this industry is in the midst of a monumental change yep. anyway. That's difficult to do in times when, you know, it's a gradual, there's no global pandemic. But boy, when you get something like this, that speeds all of this up. We could be looking at something completely different 10, 15 years from now.
8: Ab- absolutely, and, and so I mean that's a time of uh, of opportunity. If you're somebody who's been shut out of that industry, or you make yeah. things and never had a chance to get in, here's a great opportunity for you to make your case. If you're somebody who's in the industry, you don't want to lose those things. You've got to change, you've got to morph, and make it go. And, and the only thing I'm going to say, and I don't want to take a side on this really one way or the other, but those nice protesters who were trying to make their point may have inadvertently done much more damage than they thought, and, and probably even intended. They just really wanted to make a statement for Ottawa and for Queen's Park. You know, heck, make these mandates go away, which they were going to go anyway. Today, mm-hmm. Doug Ford has said that in a couple of weeks, many of the mandates in Ontario go away. In tomorrow I think we're going to hear from the health minister that says many of the flight mandates are going to go away in a couple of weeks it was going to happen anyway did you need to do this kind of damage as well and so uh, obviously the sooner we can get back to normal at the borders the better.
3: Marvin Ryder professor to group School of Business, McMaster University on uh, the border closures and, uh, closures and what it means moving forward. Good news, the Ambassador Bridge now wide open. Marvin, thank you for the time. Be well. I will, thank you. So uh the big news uh, earlier today uh the premier of Ontario uh, announcing that we'll move into phase 2 one week earlier February 17th also as of March 1st uh the vaccine passport vaccine passport system will no longer be mandatory it's up to you uh, businesses if they want to use it as uh, the rest of the world and the provinces uh, slowly start to announce plans opening up something that the prime minister uh... has yet to do but today he did uh... sort of split a a, a news conference with ukraine and the war me- and the sorry emergency act uh... saying that uh... this afternoon earlier on about four thirty that he would uh... in fact uh... uh set in motion the emergency uh, emergency act first time it's been used it replaces the old war uh... emergency war act this is what the prime minister had to say earlier on
4: after discussing with cabinet and caucus, after consultation with premiers from all provinces and territories, after speaking with opposition leaders, the federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. I want to be very clear. The scope of these measures will be time-limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe, protecting people's jobs, and restoring confidence in our institutions
3: so there you have it that's the prime minister a clip from uh, earlier on uh, this afternoon, uh, declaring that the emergency act has been uh, invoked. Basically, that means um, higher fines, imprisonment, more power for for police officials, uh, and to act on infrastructure like border crossings, airports. Uh, it just gives them uh, uh, more power to uh, to to remove people uh, and enforce the laws. Not calling in uh, the military or suspending of rights. Saying that these will be very much targeted approaches. Uh, which really only affect those areas uh, and won't last forever. Kind of like they're talking about mandates. Uh, so I uh, then went on and gave the everyone's tired speech and what have you, uh, but really didn't talk a lot about what would happen moving forward. So now we've done this. Now what happens? Now what what's the plan and uh, not a lot of, of of chatter about that but again uses the word support a lot you know we're here to support you we've got your back we're here to support the police we're here to support ottawa we're here to support uh the mayor and i don't think people are looking for support they're looking for leadership they're looking for someone to grab the bull by the horns here and take charge of the situation which let's be honest the prime minister has blown off for weeks now and now all of a sudden it's it's percolated to what it is now and it's it's a raging barn fire and and what do you do to to move this off so um it's going to be fascinating to see what happens moving forward uh freezing of accounts uh protecting infrastructure uh and what this all means uh moving forward and again the prime minister used the uh the infamous phrase that we've heard uh, along with pivot and all the other great phrases of the pandemic uh it's just another tool in the toolbox well it appears we've got a lot of tools but nobody really knows which one to use you know they're looking for a socket wrench and they really need a screwdriver so, I think we've got enough tools. Um, and now it's time to pick up the tools and you put them in your hand and, uh, y- y- you get under the hood and you start doing something. And, and again, uh, lots of chatter today. And my goodness, they're still going on and rotating everybody from Bill Blair to Christia Freeland, uh, and so on and so forth, but no real information of what's going to happen. In Ottawa, moving forward, uh, like has happened at the Ambassador Bridge, bing, bang, bong, gone, and, uh, and, and things are back to normal. However, in Ottawa, uh, obviously the situation is, has been allowed to become a lot more complicated uh, than what it is now. So uh, we'll have to watch, wait, and listen, as we have been for the last couple of weeks.
0: Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML.
3: It'll be interesting to see if... um, if, uh, if playing Barry Manilow is in any way any part of the, uh, emergency act, which was, uh, just declared, just invoked, uh, a little while ago when the news conference started with the prime minister at about, uh, 4.30 this afternoon. Uh, they're still rotating the politicians around, uh, and, you know, it's, most have dozed off by this point. Um, But anyway, at the end of the day, the Emergency Act has been uh, invoked. It means uh, more response, more responsibility, uh, and more power for law enforcement, border crossings, infrastructure like airports and such uh, allows them to uh, increase fines, imprisonment as well, uh, stressing that this is going to be targeted on certain areas and um, won't last for long. you got to wonder, by the time they get the trucks cleared out of ottawa if all of this will have died down anyway like not the protest itself but the restrictions because you know again restrictions in ontario were announced after christmas that they you know the plan for coming out of all of this and lifting of the protocol uh so by the time they end up getting everything cleared in ottawa it'll probably be irrelevant anyway uh let's bring in henry Jasick, professor of political science mcmaster university to talk about today's developments henry as always thank you so much for the time hope you're well
9: oh i am glad to be with you scott
3: so your thoughts on the Emergency Act and and what this means? We we certainly heard of uh, you know what it does as far as powers. We don't really know what's going to happen moving forward or what this means for Ottawa. But your thoughts on where we are?
9: Well, I, I assume that, that this means that we're going to get a bunch of RCMP officers coming to Ottawa, and of course they'll be have the have the authority to you know enforce civil, uh, municipal and Ontario laws uh, to do this and. Uh, and and really help them out. So I th- I think this is just paving the way for that. So before too long, we should probably see them. And I would think probably the first place they're going to go after is that uh, base they have next to the st- baseball stadium in Ottawa, which is uh, hmm. you know sort of has the food that you know has the food, the saunas and the and the uh, and the uh, fuel for, for 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 them. And so this, this that'll it'll be it'll be interesting when they go there. But I think this is setting it up for that.
3: Uh, are you surprised that we need to get to an emergencies act to be able to do this? Many said it was just work that could be done anyway. Uh, what does ha- adding the emergency act do?
9: Well, it gives it gives the the uh, RCMP, which is a federal police force,
3: yeah,
10: provincial the right, authority, the yeah.
9: right to act as if they were OPP and, right. and enforce those, so they can enforce provincial laws. Normally, the RCMP right. could only. You know, normally uh, would only have the right to enforce uh, federal laws, except in some some provinces. Of course, mm-hmm. they they are so police short traditionally that they have the RCMP in there, and they give them special uh, special rights to do that. Oftentimes, and you have that in the West quite a bit. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So that's what it does, and it and i think there's some other stuff in there too as well in, in in terms of what they can do but it it basically means that you know you're going to you're going to be you're going to be you're going to see the police doing their business
3: so the um, first time this has been done in history how significant is this event is this uh, declaration
9: well i think what it has it has to send a signal mm-hmm. and, and and to people is that in fact the government has essentially, and the police and the the government basically are doing their job. They're capable. They have the capability to do their job. This is very important because the longer this went on, people will start to say, hey, people are breaking the law and nobody does anything. Yeah. And if I did it, I would be in a lot of trouble, you know. And, uh, you know, as one person said, you know, there were some young kids in the summertime who, who on behind the parliament buildings or in that area, and they set up a little ice, uh, you know, um, ice tea stand in the middle, lemonade stand in the middle of the summer, and they got run off the property, these five-year-olds or six-year-olds, you know, and so, you know, so clearly, you know, people are saying this is really outrageous, you know, that there was no enforcement, and then we we going three weeks of that in Ottawa, and Then we're having, you know, the what what happened on the Ambassador Bridge was, you know, did so much harm, economic harm to our 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 to people and to our employers and to our, you know, our relations with the U.S. It was just, you know, we said people were, you know, sixty to seventy percent of the people in the and the country was saying, "Do we have a government, or what's going on here?" Uh, well, on that note,
3: I'll ask you: Has uh, has the prime minister shown enough leadership on this? And you know, I was I was listening to him today to the news conference. Uh, and, you know, we're hearing the, the same typical statements, more tools in the toolbox. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, you know, it's like, my God, I think we've got so many tools here. We don't know which one to use. <laughs> yeah. uh, it appears there's tools all over the floor. Uh, and, and you know, just typical things that we, we normally hear. And to me, he says the word support an awful lot. Like, we're here to support you. We've got your backs. We're here to support the problem, the provinces. I don't think people want support. I think people want leadership here. They want some. Someone that looks like they are in control as opposed to we're getting more of these guys so they can help and we're getting more of those so they can help. Has the prime minister showed leadership on this?
9: Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's a long time coming. I think we, you know, we say this, this should have happened earlier. Uh, he, should, he should have essentially seen that this is where it was going he, and he and his minister's and uh you know he should should have acted earlier and and the longer you take to act the more these people who are doing these protests be, you know they dig in and uh, and they keep saying we're not going away and we're just digging in and so it just gets harder and harder and i think most people see that if you let
2: people yeah.
9: do this then you generally you're just going to have more and more lawlessness i mean it's just going to break down because people see it they're not being enforcing the law there well maybe they want to enforce the law here it's uh, you know that 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 was the big danger of him waiting. I, I think part of it is that he also, you know, he's misread, or people around him misread what happened yeah. to his father with the Quebec crisis. And they said, well, after the Quebec crisis, when his father, like, you know, if we had Pierre here, those those people would be gone already. But anyways, what his father, you know, you know, came and basically said, I'm, I'm getting rid of these people. We're having the, and he called in the troops. Uh, and and then he had an, uh, an election in '72 and he was reduced to a, a small minority, and everybody said, oh, that was because of what he did with the Quebec crisis and everything, but in, but they're misreading it because there was a small what there was was a small um, economic recession, and mm-hmm. when you asked people who, why they voted, you know why people who had voted for him in '68 didn't vote for him in in '72. 70, uh, Basically, they for did different an reasons, yeah. Response. It had nothing yeah. to do. I mean, Pierre was yeah. very popular because of what he did. You know, in Quebec.
3: Henry Jasic, professor of political science, McMaster University. We continue to watch Henry. We'll chat again. Take care. Be well.
9: Okay, this still keep going. Okay, very good, Scott.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
3: Man, we had this guy on on uh, Friday, and he was red hot, uh, including talking about. The prime minister's father and what he would be doing in his grave right now uh, if he was aware of what his son is up to. Uh, so there's lots to talk about, uh, including the emergency act, including the price at the pumps, which we all saw this weekend go through the stratosphere, uh, as predicted, I might add, uh, by Dan McTagg and uh, Canadians for Affordable Energy. He is with us now, Dan. Thank you for the time. I hope you're well
10: yes I am it might be uh, might be Valentine's Day but oh boy
3: <laughs> I don't, I'm not feeling the love here Scott We're getting the bill before we're getting the uh, the flowers that's for sure uh, exactly. so let me ask you first because you're a former liberal MP and and you are very passionate about the direction the party has taken now as opposed to the days when you were there um but but your thoughts on where we are today with the emergency act and obviously trying to end the protests in Ottawa.
10: Wow. Look, uh, the protest uh, has taken off uh, in, you know, in, a, in, a, in a very different way than I think many had imagined. I, I think it's fair to say that it has, uh, certainly the one in Ottawa, has left uh, the downtown part pretty much uh, unusable. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it is important to recognize that these are freedoms that people have. As, as distasteful as they are, uh, we can label it any way we want. Uh, these are not, from what I gather, terrorists. They have not engaged in acts of violence. They've made things extraordinarily inconvenient for the town, Uh, but that's not the first and it's not the last time. I'm just wondering, I mean, I heard the Prime Minister (laughs) sort of twist around as to how limited this is going to be and then pass it off to his Justice Minister. I'm not sure how this is going to turn up. I just sense that, uh, you know, if he had not taken the position of uh, being intransigent, vilifying, weaponizing uh vaccines and politicizing this event before it began i think the outcome would have been very different uh, and i think this is a moment where i think we're starting to see the wheels fall off uh the end or if you will the bloom fall off those who've supported this prime minister for so long
3: it seems as if he's, in, in through this pandemic, he's offered support, but he's managed to stay back from the controversy. He's managed to push this off to the Ottawa mayor, to the Ottawa police department, to, uh, council, uh, and then, then push it off to the provinces. All of a sudden it was Doug Ford's problem. And, and, and you know, and again, you're a former politician, but I've heard him. Use a lot of keywords, tools in the toolbox. This was another tool in the toolbox today. By God, there's so many tools on the floor, we don't know what the hell one to use here. Tool of Um, the day. So, um, you know, and and he uses words like we're here to support you. We've got your back. We're going to support. I don't think people want support at this point. I think they want leadership. They want someone to take charge and give them the feeling that something's really going to happen.
10: The country is broken, and he's played a very important part in breaking it. Uh, I would expect that this is really on him. Uh, When these kind of events happen, a crisis takes place, strong leaders try to find compromise. They try to find consensus. And if they can't find that, at least they try to do that. If they can't find that, then, you know, you leave that to public opinion. But he's taken the position right from the get-go that this is unlawful, this is wrong. He's labeled them. He's demonized them. He's vilified. Look, from the beginning It didn't matter what this was. He just didn't like it because for the first time, unlike, you know, his own backbenchers challenging his authority, you now had open society Mm -hmm. taking to the streets to challenge him. And this is not about, uh, you know, vaccine mandates or gas prices or things like that. This is really about people being absolutely discontent with the direction of this country. And in particular... It's horrid leadership and I think that's what comes out of this no matter what I think is a consensus that Canadians are going to uh, deep six this Prime Minister uh, sooner the better for the country for the sake of its unity and for the sake of its uh, political uh, cohesion.
3: And Dan, as you see, not only other provinces, but uh, other governments around the world move forward with some sort of plan uh, to open up. It seems by the time we get trucks removed from Ottawa, this will all have fallen by the wayside anyway. Exactly.
10: Look, this is, uh, you know, much of this will be a thing in the past, but I think it's a lesson learned. Uh, If we do come back, and I think there will be, uh, I hate to say it, I am no expert, but if we go back into another lockdown or another period of time where there's another wave, What are we going to do? I think it's been the point has been made. If nothing else, the presence of these folks on the Hill and elsewhere has made it abundantly clear that Canadians are not going to roll over and die. They've had this for two years. They are fed up. And if anybody wants to uh, impose some kind of authoritarian dictate, um, you know, as opposed to living through this uh, this particular disease, uh, they should think again. By the way, Scott, this does speak to much wider issues of governments making decisions uh, uh, via diktat, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, clamping down on the internet, uh, censorship on the internet, whether that's their, uh, their climate, uh, you know, gambit of uh, shutting down everything, shutting down fossil fuels. I think this government has lost in a very real way the moral right to govern and even its own backbenchers
3: recognize that. Uh, we saw this weekend record high prices, uh, your thoughts. I mean, <laughs> you predicted this, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and rightly chastised as last Friday. So uh, how oh. far can they go? What are we going to see here?
10: Well, you're going to get a two cent increase on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, $1.59.9. It was $1.60.9 a lot of stations here uh, in Hamilton, Toronto, uh, GTHA. It, it dropped a penny uh, yesterday. I think they were just sort of a little schemish about what had happened, but uh, it's going to surge back from 159 9 all the way to 161 9 I think it's 165 by next weekend. Uh, but of course, I have to also be mindful now that uh, what got us to $90 a barrel uh, has to do with fundamentals. As I mentioned last week, uh, you have, uh, you know, shut down and prevented capital from getting in to help uh, producers produce oil uh, to replace what we're using today. Demand is surging. This week, however, it is all about Russia, and it's all about its intentions to uh, whether or not it will engage in a war uh, in that in Eastern Europe. One way or another, uh, this is going to be a momentous couple of days, and uh, should there be an invasion, and uh, God willing, there isn't, but if there is, uh, you know, sky's the limit in terms of energy prices, I would see oil going to $120 a barrel, another $25 from where it is now. That would bring uh, prices here right across the GTA, a lot closer to the 190 range, perhaps mm. even $2 a litre. So let's hope that doesn't happen. If it does pass and things can work out well, I still think we're looking uh, to maintain these kind of prices for the next several months. Greg is on the
3: line. Greg, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, hi, Scott. Well, what a day, what a day. Uh, yeah, um, I'm shocked that they're going this far with the uh, Emergencies Measure Act, uh, man. And I listened to the three criteria why they wanted to invoke this, and it, it just doesn't meet that in my in my view. And I got to tell you, as a Canadian today, I'm confirmed right now that we are currently have the first canadian dictatorship in my lifetime in this country ever in the existence of this country what i've been seeing going on um the good news is the canadians are going to be strong and we're still going to protest and we're still going to put mr Trudeau out of business this is a large movement larger than they think it is
3: so what do you think government should be doing instead of uh issuing the emergency act
2: listening listening uh to the science, to the updated science.
3: In terms you know, that's one thing I think is hilarious in all of this, Greg, is that as we're slowly seeing the world open up, I mean, you know, the doctors are saying we don't need vaccine passports anymore. By the time they get everything unloaded and moved out of Ottawa, this will not even matter because half of these things will expire. They will have moved on.
2: No, I agree with you, and that's the yeah. whole thing about this. And for them to say today, Mr. Ford, today, to say that this wasn't a result of this gathering of protesters, they're lying through their teeth. That's I don't crazy.
3: see. I, I don't agree with you there at all, no, Greg. Because good. this was announced. This was announced after Christmas, so we already knew that we were starting to open up. The right after Christmas, they announced the timeline, which started January 31st, and then February 21st, and then March uh, 14th. They've certainly bumped that up a week, but they've yeah, also right. got. They've also got. You've also had people like Dr. Tam, Dr. Bonnie Henry from NASI and from British Columbia, as well as Dr. Kieran Moore. Two weeks ago two weeks ago saying it's time to stop this and it's time to start coming up with a plan to move out. So I I think that the timing is is relatively the same but no, I mean if if the Prime Minister dropped his border trucker mandate thing, I think think he could say that. But no, all of these plans were in in place uh, long before the protests started. Uh, I believe that. Anyway, Greg, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for the call. Much appreciated. 905-645- 3221. Start 9900 on your cell. Mark's on the line. Mark, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I agree with the guest that you had earlier there, Scott. This is all on the Prime Minister. Um, you know, to invoke this emergency response act, uh, just for the fact that his pride or perception of these protesters wouldn't allow him to, you know, to, to meet with them and, and talk about what the what the real problem was. And now we're going for this huge government overreach which is gonna cost the taxpayers a fortune again, um, thanks to the Liberal government when The smallest of all these problems and mandates was probably lifting the uh the one on the truckers right and then problem solved so i think it's a big mistake for him not to uh not to have met with any of the protest leaders
3: yeah, and I think that's why you're hearing officials, medical officials, talking about vaccine passports. The other thing, too, is you know, early on in this, we were trying to get everybody vaccinated. Now we got like tons of people vaccinated. We should be very proud of everybody that's vaccinated. And, you know, uh, again, I-, I can see these mandates and what have you all falling by the wayside uh, very shortly, just simply because. It's been two years and we're working our way out of a global pandemic, which is slowly becoming an endemic because of everything that we've been doing. So, you know, it's, it's, it seems that this argument or this protest or uh, the prime minister's inability to solve it, as you've said, or meet with the people, I mean, like a year ago maybe but i mean we're at the end of this now so why why he just won't move forward and provide some sort of unity and and some sort of olive branch to uh to move on is beyond me but you know it is what it is at this point anyway uh mark thanks for uh, so much for the call much appreciated be well thanks Scott
0: Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live week afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
3: As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word.
7: Hi, I'm Steve. I just live in Hamilton, that's all. (laughs) Um, I'd like to know where this phrase has come from. Trudeau, I noticed, uses it a lot. He says... Let me be clear, why does it take three weeks for him to find clarity?